and we can find Eve is mentioned as the first woman of the Bible. So she gets a lot of attention and she honestly gets a bad rap, you know, because we think, oh, I have to go through some of the things I go through in life. Thanks a lot, Eve, right? And I've heard people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find her, if she, you know, and, and give her a piece of my mind. <clears throat> so Eve gets a bad rap. But tonight we're going to look at Eve's drama and the story unfold before us. And we're going to kind of take a few points from her story that will minister to us. Eve was tempted and enticed by the enemy, just as we all are. And we can cast blame on her and we can cast attention upon her and her mistakes. But the truth of the matter is you and I are not so different. We're all tempted. We're all enticed. And Satan has tactics that he uses against humanity. And they really haven't changed. Satan's tactics are calculated, strategic, and they're effective. In other words, he's good at what he does. He's tricky. He is sly. I remember when we were when we were kids, we used to sing the devil is a sly old fox. And he is. His tactics are very strategic and calculated. We are not up against a stupid enemy. You know, and not only that, but since the, the time of Eve, he's had thousands of years of practice too. So how can we think that we are above his temptations and his tactics? When we watch Eve's drama unfold, we see that the tactics that the devil used against her were the same ones used against Jesus when he walked this earth. Things really don't change. Some things really don't change. His tactics are much the same. And with this in mind, seeing the pattern in scripture of how the enemy operated, in Eve's life, and then in the life of Jesus, we should expect that the enemy is going to use the same tricks, similar wiles and schemes against us. So if it's worked for millennia, why would he not continue using the same strategies? So in tonight's uh, study, you're going to be Strengthen to be able to identify those tactics and fight back, which we have spent 12 weeks talking about how to fight the enemy and how to be the woman that he's called us to be. So I think tonight's lesson only reinforces everything we've talked about in our studies so far. Um, it's extremely important and practical stuff that the enemy does not want us to know. He doesn't want us to hear because when you expose his tricks, and you get smart to what he's trying to do, then you're not as easily deceived, right? You can stand strong against it when you're recognizing that's the enemy at work. Or, oh no, you know, we have that on the t-shirt. Not today, Satan, right? If we can keep ourselves wise and keep ourselves um, in the know of how he operates and remind ourselves of this often, then we have a better chance at overcoming. All right, and I believe what I just said, I wanna point out, I believe that's why the scripture says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's power in our testimony because when we hear a testimony, then we know, oh, well, that's how the enemy works, but this is what the Lord can do. And it strengthens our faith. It builds us up in our faith. And it's a weapon. Our testimony is a weapon. So your testimony is one of the most powerful tools that you have when it comes to soul winning, when it comes to discipleship. Use your testimony. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a testimony. Invite someone over to your house for dinner. Mentor somebody who's newer in the faith and take a lady out for coffee and just share what God has done for you. Share your story. Share your testimony. We don't have to share all the gory details, but we can share a part of what God has done for us. And that builds the faith of someone else, especially someone who is newer in the faith. 
Show them what the Lord has done. All right, so we're going to start with Eve's little story here. And I'm going to read from uh, this study for this portion. Eve's life began as a study in perfection. She had the dream and then some. She had perfect surroundings, perfect relationships, perfect provision, perfection. Eve experienced perfect communion with the living God. What more could anyone long for? Eve's life was a series of firsts in the history of the world. She was the first woman, the first wife, the first mother, the first and only sinless woman at one time, and the first to be tempted by Satan. Sadly, Eve was also the first, along with her husband Adam, to fall into sin and see the consequences of disobedience to God. Her very name means mother of all who have life. But her story was a tapestry woven with joy and pain, celebration and sorrow, life and death. Eve feasted on the glory of intimacy with God beyond what any other woman would know on this earth. But she also felt her teeth put on edge by the bitter poison of sin and rebellion. Never has another woman lived with such highs and lows. From the sinless paradise of Eden to the barrenness of exile outside of the garden, angels posted to make sure she and her husband would never return and eat from the tree of life. From having perfect communion with Adam and with God to having the naked shame of being caught in her sin and banished. From peaceful relationships to the unspeakable pain that came as she stood over the grave of a son who had been murdered by his own brother. Eve knew the whole spectrum of human emotion. Eve was swept into the spiritual drama that would unfold through the whole story of the human family. She was molded and shaped by the very hands of God and she had no earthly parents to lean on. She faced the tempter and heard his voice entice her to rebel against God. She heard the prophetic word that one day Satan would be crushed by her ancestor. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15 Eve saw the cost of sin, but heard the message of hope in a coming Savior, one who would be her descendant, and his name would be Jesus. So we think we have it bad. Imagine having no point of reference. Imagine not knowing sin. Imagine being completely innocent and not being in a world of sin. Eve knew that. You talk about extreme highs to extreme lows. No other human has that point of reference because we are all born into sin. We all come into this world just knowing how tough and how terrible things can be. Eve didn't know that. She knew perfection and she knew innocence and she knew perfect communion with God. She had she did not have the same point of reference that we all have. And also imagine not having any parents, not having any teaching, not having any instruction, just being put in this thing called life and being given commands by the Lord, but no frame of reference, no example to look to, no one that's gone before you, no spiritual mentor, no parent, no mom, no dad, no spiritual mother, nobody to look to, it was Eve. So Eve has a very unique situation here. She came into this life in a very different way than any of us. 
And I would say that a lot of what Eve was experiencing was absolutely miraculous. It was the perfect presence of God. It was the perfect power of God. It was the perfect situation with no sin, with no shame, with no guilt. And sometimes the thing that we can do and we can learn from Eve's situation, even though we cannot relate to that life because none of us have known it. None of us can relate to a world that looks like the, the world that Eve lived in. But sometimes you and I can miss the miraculous of all that we have been blessed with because we're so focused on the one thing that we don't have. That is called discontentment. And that is where we find our girl Eve tonight. She had everything, but she missed all of the miracles that were surrounding her and she missed the perfection that God had provided for her because instead she was focused in on the one thing that she didn't have. I don't think you and I are so different. When this happens, we become disillusioned with all that we do have, and we don't recognize the blessings that we truly have. That's the reason that it's so important for us to be thankful, to have gratitude, to stop sometimes and recognize the goodness of God. The older I get, I told my kids this year, the more Thanksgiving becomes my favorite holiday because it refocuses our attention on the goodness of God and what we're thankful for and the blessings that we have rather than focusing on everything we don't have and focusing on everything we want, <laughs> hence this time of year and everything that we wish for and we desire for and that we're not content until we have it. But gratitude and thankfulness is the remedy for discontentment. So we're gonna pull some uh, points from Eve's story tonight and discuss them that I think will minister to us. And we're gonna start at Genesis chapter one, verse 31. It says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then we're going to turn over to chapter two and I'm going to read a kind of a lengthy passage, 10 verses, starting at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eat thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want to point out one little phrase in verse 18. Actually, let's go back to the first scripture we read in chapter 1, verse 31. 
God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. God said it was very good. Not just good, but he was pretty impressed with his work. And if you go back through chapter 1, God saw the light, and it was good. God made the firmament, divided the waters, and it was good. God called the dry land earth, the waters. He called seas, and it was good. The grass, and the seeds, and the trees, and the fruits. And God said it was good. He divided the light and the darkness. He made the, the day and night. God saw that it was good. The whales and the living creatures and the waters, the winged fowls, and God said it was good. See in the pattern? God said um, every, I already read that part. And then he made man and he kind of completed his creation looked at all of this, and then he said, it was very good, all right? The first time in scripture that the Lord said, ooh, it's not good, is in verse 18 of chapter two, when God looked and saw that Adam was alone. And he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. So everything in this world that God had created was perfect. But then God spotted an issue that he needed to address. And it was that he needed to create a helpmate for Adam. And he made Eve. So now we could say, since God had already said all of these things were so good, except for there was no woman. And God didn't think that was good. The Lord values women. We have an important place because he looked at all of his creation and he said, there's one thing missing. And then he made it. So we could say that once he made Eve and he created this final portion of his creation, Everything was good. All was well in the world. Adam and Eve had perfect surroundings. All of it was good. Perfect relationships. They weren't alone. They had one another. Perfect provision. God provided all of their needs. Anything they could have need of was right there for them. Yet they still wanted more. They gave in to temptation and they fed the desire for what they did not have and really what they didn't even need. How do we see this in our world today? How do we see this in our culture today? How do we see this in our personal lives today? Think about yourself for a minute. Do you ever feel that discontentment? What is it that stirs the discontentment in your heart? Is it the latest, greatest gadget, or could you care less? Is it a relationship that's lacking, or are all of your relationships just perfect and satisfying your every need? Maybe it's finding time to spend in the presence of the Lord that Adam and Eve lived in God's presence. That's all they knew. We have to be very intentional to find time to find the right atmosphere, to find the right place, to clear our schedules, right? To have our devotional time, to spend time with the Lord. So we have much the same need and desire that Adam and Eve had, that we, our kids sang about it at the program, this God-sized void in our hearts, right? We all need a new heart for Christmas. We need to put Jesus right there in that void. So they had access to everything they needed, but yet there was discontentment. So there's the first trick of the enemy that we can recognize. He loves to make us discontent. He loves to point out everything in our lives that we don't have. And I would venture to say, I know I hit on this a lot, but one of the great contributors to this is social media. We get on and we see what they have and what they did and what their kids accomplished and what, 
the, the new car that they just bought and how beautiful their home is decorated and the 29 dozen cookies that they just baked for every nursing home in town. And then we see all of the, we see their highlight reel and we think, oh, well, what's wrong with my life? Why can't I bake 29 dozen cookies? But we're up to our ears in laundry and we're raising a family or we're working a job and we're, we're busy and we become discontent with our life because of where we're at looking at other people's lives. That's why the scripture tells us it's not wise to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And we've talked about that in our study. But that was the very first thing that Adam and Eve had faced discontentment. For Adam and Eve, the one thing that they were not supposed to fixate on, the one thing they were not supposed to desire after, was a specific tree in the garden. But so many times we are not much different. We might not be fixating on a tree, but we're fixating on a lot of other things that are distractions. And I think that that was kind of the theme of prayer tonight. Our focus needs to stay on the main thing. T.F. Tenney used to say it. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? And so we fixate on things that we're not supposed to be fixated on. We worry about things that we don't need to worry about. We fixate on what we don't have and how unsatisfied we are and how our needs are not being met. And we fixate our attention on these distractions that lure us away from the real focus. And that's easy to do at Christmas time. And I know it's so cliche. We say it every year. Jesus is the reason for the season and keep Christ in Christmas. But how easy is it to become distracted, to become busy? And especially as women, we're taking care of everybody else. We're doing all the things. Right? We're doing all the baking. We're doing all the cooking. We're doing all the shopping, Pastor talked about tonight. We're doing all the preparation and keeping ourselves so busy that we can sometimes fixate on the wrong things. We can be lured away from our true focus, and it is not healthy to not have Jesus at the center of our lives. It's not healthy to not have him at the center of our attention. And the truth of the matter is, when we focus on all that we do have and the blessings that God has given us, we then realize the main thing. And our attention can shift and the atmosphere changes and our anxiety can decrease and we can suddenly start feeling a lot better when we get in his presence, because in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the answer to discontentment, is getting in his presence, praying, spending time with the Lord, changing that atmosphere, not allowing ourselves to be fixated and focused on what we don't have, because that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to be focused on everything that is lacking in our lives so that we are distracted from the miracles and the blessings that are all around us. So that old song, count your blessings, name them one by one, it's not wrong. That's something that we need to put into practice. Count your blessings. When you go and you find yourself starting to feel discouraged, starting to feel discontent, starting to feel like, ah, oh, my life could just be so different. Yes, it probably could be. But try counting your blessings. Try listing out all of the goodness and the mercy that God has given to you and all of the pleasures that are found in his presence. And when we begin to make that list, we might start feeling a little differently. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to start at verse 1 and read seven verses. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, 
You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. All right. So a few specific tactics that Satan used to lure Eve into sin is some of the same strategies that he uses against us today. It often starts with discontentment, but that's not where it ends. The enemy knows how to recognize our discontentment. So how do we remedy that? We're thankful. We, we give gratitude. We spend time in thanksgiving and prayer. And that is enough to kind of keep the enemy at bay. But when we're human and we allow some discontentment to settle in, we don't keep our hearts right we don't keep our spirits right. Maybe we're not so thankful. Maybe we're having a pity party. Whatever it is, the enemy recognizes that. And that is when he says, oh, I have some tricks that I can use right here when there's discontentment. He's crafty. He was very crafty with Eve that day. He didn't just come right up to her and say, just go eat the tree. He used a few little tactics that kind of went around about. The first one is, did God really say? He asked the question, did God really say that? And we see that, uh, hold on here. We see that here at the beginning of the conversation, he asked, Hath God said in verse one. The next thing that comes up is, well, okay, maybe God kind of said something like that, but are you not supposed to touch it or are you not supposed to eat of it? So he takes it a step further and he doesn't completely deny that God said something about this tree, but he starts making Eve question well, what exactly am I supposed to do here? Am I allowed to just go touch it? He wants to get us a step closer to the temptation. Maybe just go touch on it. Maybe just go see how good it really is. And it is good. How do we know it's good? Because God had said everything was good. Everything that he made was good. So the tree in and of itself wasn't bad. I'm sure it looked very enticing. I'm sure if she goes up and she's touching on it and oh, you know, going to spend a little time here. Then your mind gets gone. So if he can get you to just be comfortable with the temptation, well, you know, just spend a little time with it. Touch it. Maybe just don't eat it right away. But, you know, just spend a little time there and see how it makes you feel. We start with questioning God. And then that leads us to saying, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's not exactly what God said. Maybe that's not exactly what pastor preached on Sunday. Maybe that's not exactly what the word of God says. You know, maybe, maybe I can just kind of dabble with that or kind of touch it. Or maybe it's not so bad to sit around and have a pity party for myself, right? And then he takes it a step further. And he disguises the sin to appear like God. And then it's not enough to say, well, did God really say that? And then it's not enough to say, well, you know, are you supposed to just not eat it? Or can you just go touch it and just spend a little time there? Then he takes it a step further and says, oh, well, you know what? Let me tell you the reason that God said that. 
The reason is, if you eat of that tree, you're going to become like God. And we hear that sometimes and we're like, oh, you know, how could anybody want to be like God? Well, the devil himself wanted to be like God. And that's what got him cast from heaven. And you and I are sometimes not so different. I've told you in here before that sometimes we try to take matters in our own hands. I call it being a little Jesus helper. We don't trust the Lord. And so we say, well, I'll just take care of that. And that's the sin of pride. Trying to be like God. Trying to do God's work when we're not called to be like God in that sense. We're called to be disciples and to strive to live like Jesus, but we're not called to have the sin of pride. And the enemy wants us to. The enemy wants us to question God, to dabble with the temptation, and to have a a sense of pride that, well, I can do that better. Well, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. Well, God, you're not going to hear my prayer. You're not going to answer me. So I guess I'm just going to have to take care of it right? There's a lot of different ways that we can do this very same thing that Eve did in this story. And we say, oh, no, no, no. I would never question God. But we do. We do question God. We would say, oh, I'll never dabble in that. But then we do. We dabble in the very things that we know are not pleasing to God and that we're told to stay away from. And then we would say, oh, I would never want to be like God and, you know, be prideful. I would never do that. But we do. Right? So many times we do these very things because the enemy is crafty. He is deceitful. He's, he's a liar and the father of them all. Right? And so we can find ourselves in this very same position. All right. So from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, these things never change. Let's jump ahead to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So what we see here is much the same pattern. He is causing Jesus, fully man, who had flesh, who was walking in this flesh, right? Fully man, fully God. He was deity. But he was a man. And he's walking around in this, in this flesh, and he's fasting, and the enemy comes to him and starts questioning him, starts tempting him. And then he starts giving him temptation. Well, you know, just come take a look at this. 
He starts exposing him to, let me show you what you don't have. Let me show you what I can give you. And then he starts, same tactic, the spirit of pride. In verse nine, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Wanting to be like God again. Saying, look here, you know, you can worship me. That's what the enemy truly wants is he wants us to serve him. He wants us to be tempted to serve him. And so Jesus's response here is so incredibly important. And I hope that in the last few months, you have learned how to respond like Jesus responds. Because if your Bible has the words of Jesus in red, then you'll see something happening in these 11 verses. You'll see the black print where the enemy is speaking. And then you see Jesus speaking and he says this, it is written. And then you see some more black print where the enemy goes to work and uses his tactics once again. And then you see some red print and it says this, it is written. And then you see some more black print where he goes at it again and he uses some more of these same tactics against Jesus. And then you see the red print and it says, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. Jesus's response every time the enemy tried to tempt him and distract him and get him to break down, every time the enemy spoke, Jesus, his rebuttal was scripture. He didn't keep his eyes and his focus fixated on the temptation. He didn't keep his attention fixated on the lies of the enemy. Jesus did not take his eyes off of what really mattered. He kept his eyes off of the temptation and on the word of God. It is written. And so Jesus's response should be our response. It's not our natural response. It wasn't Eve's natural response. She was deceived. But we have the scripture. Eve had one little word from God. Remember I told you at the beginning, we give her a hard time. But she lived in a very different world and came at this from a totally different perspective than you and I. She had one word from God. Don't eat it. We have been given, I've said it time after time in the last few months, a treasure trove. We have been given his word. We've got to use it. We've got to access it. We've got to put post-it notes up. We've got to download apps. We've got to put it on pictures all over our home. We've got to put it in our car. We've got to put it wherever we, on our phones, on Facebook. Put something good on Facebook. We've got all of these words that we can use to strengthen our faith, to build us up, to come against the temptations, to combat the lies of the enemy, to keep ourselves from being deceived and tricked. But we sit it on the shelf or we put it on the coffee table and we pick it up on Sunday. We've got to get ourselves in his word. If Jesus, fully God, fully man, son of God, son of man, if he responded to the enemy with scripture, then why would we not need to? We're not above that. We have the flesh. We walk in the flesh. Every day we live in it. And we have to be very intentional, like the scripture says, not to walk after the flesh. We're in it. Can't help it. But we don't walk after it. We don't let our flesh lead us because we'll be deceived. The scripture is our answer. And we can see this from the beginning of the Bible tonight in Genesis chapter one, 
all the way through into the New Testament, things did not really change that much. The enemy's tactics are always his tactics, questioning God, placing temptations before us, making promises that he doesn't intend to keep, and many times he can't even keep them. He lies. And deceiving us to think that, you know what, if you do this, life could be better. If you go this way instead of God's way, then you'll be happier. You'll find contentment. And the truth of the matter is, true contentment is found in the presence of God at his feet. So let's turn to 1 John. We're going even further into the New Testament. I always have trouble finding the Johns because there's they're these little teeny tiny books. <laughs> so 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. John addresses here the same three temptation points that Satan used against Eve and even used against Jesus. The first is the cravings of sinful man, physical pleasure. He used that against Eve in the garden, and he used physical pleasure against Jesus. Food. Eat this, right? He told Eve, eat this. He told Jesus, aren't you hungry? You've been fasting 40 days, right? And so the enemy will use physical pleasures. The second thing that John addresses here is lust. Lust of the eye. Materialism. Lust of the eye is not always in a sexual sense. It can be materialistic. It can be exactly what I was talking about earlier when we were laughing about Instagram. And you look at somebody else's material possessions, somebody else's home, somebody else's blessing, somebody else's perfect little family. And you want those, it's pleasing to the eye. You want the materialism, the, the pleasures, the lust. The third thing that John addresses here, boasting of what we have and we do. Significance. That's exactly how the enemy came at Eve in the garden. You can be like God. You'll be important. You'll be significant. And that's exactly how he came at Jesus. I can give you all of the kingdoms of the world. Look at all this. It can be yours. You will be so important. You will rule the world as if he doesn't already. And so in both of these Old Testament, New Testament, we see the enemy's tactics have not changed. <coughs> Physical pleasure, the lust, materialism, and significance. Boasting of what we have and what we can do. So the remedy We have a danger when we're like Eve and when we're tempted by the enemy. We have this cup. Imagine that you have a cup, right? And we hold our cup out. And the, the danger is that our cup can be filled with things that don't honor God. And it can be full of things that we're putting there to satisfy our desires. And it can be full of things that take up so much room, we don't have room for him. And we say, Lord, fill my cup. 
we come to prayer meeting and we say, fill my cup. And he says, <laughs> you kind of need to empty it out and get rid of some of the clutter, right? Clean house a little bit and make some room. We want the blessings of God. I don't think there's a person in this room that would say, oh, I do not want the blessings of God in my life. No, shut them off, Lord. Nobody would say that, right? There used to be a worship song quite a few years ago that actually said that. And when it would get to that part, I would be at different, this has been like 10 or 15 years ago. And I remember being at like a conference and the praise team was singing it and everyone's singing it. And it says, we don't want blessings. We just want you. And I get the premise of what they were saying, but I would not say it. I would stop singing and I'm like, no, I'm not saying I don't want the blessings of God. Of course I want the blessings of God. And the thing is, when you have God, you get his blessings because that's who he is. That's his nature. He's good. So he blesses us, right? But we all want the blessings of God. Everyone in this room would say, yes, God, I want your blessings. I want everything that you have for me, everything you have for my marriage, everything you have for my family. I want all that you have for my kids and my grandkids. I want everything you have for my church, right? We all want that. But so many times we filled our cup up with physical pleasures, with materialism, with significance. And we've allowed the enemy to tempt us in these ways so that God is not honored and he cannot give us what he desires to bless us with. So this is the lure. This is how the enemy works in our lives. And oftentimes it is so subtle. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is the remedy tonight. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. When we're tempted to worry and be little Jesus helpers, when we're tempted to feel like we just don't have all the blessings and they get all the blessings, and why would God bless them? Why would God you know, bless their family? Look at them. They're, they don't even love the Lord. They're not even living right. You ever hear stuff like that? David cried it out in the Psalms. Why are the unrighteous blessed? You know? The truth of the matter is we are blessed. We're just, we've got our attention on the wrong thing. And we're distracted. And we're fixated on the wrong thing. So the remedy is be anxious for nothing. Prayer. Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. He's telling us, you can ask me. You can tell me what you need. You can ask me for the blessings. You can bring your request to me. But first, Thanksgiving. And doesn't the scripture tell us to enter into his gates with Thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? We don't come running at God every time we want something or we need something. If that's the only time we're praying, then we're doing it wrong. But we need to be thankful. And then we're promised that God will give us peace. And he will guard our hearts and our minds. And that's the protection we need. We need our hearts and our minds to be guarded against the enemy. So here's how we're going to close out tonight. We're going to close in prayer. And this week, I challenge you to make this your prayer. Ask God to help you, if you haven't already in the last few months, I'm gonna keep at you. Ask God to help you fall in love with his word. Ask him to help you feed on it every day. And ask him to let that word equip you 
for the attacks that the enemy is going to bring against you. And then I want you to write down, if you're taking notes or put it in your phone or just remember it as a reference, Philippians 4 and 6. Be anxious about nothing. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let that be your reminder this week in this busy holiday season. Don't be anxious, but be thankful. And make sure that we're fixated on the right things. My prayer, because I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, it's easy to get distracted. And my prayer is that I will be fixated on the baby in the manger. And like Pastor said tonight, the real story, the gospel, the good news. Let our minds be fixated on that. Let our minds be fixated on souls, on winning the lost. Let our minds be fixated on his kingdom. Everything else will fall away. That beautiful living room one day will fall away, right? All those things that we can put our attention on, they won't last. So let's pray this prayer tonight in closing. Lord, we thank you, God, that you've given us wisdom to recognize the devices of our enemy. We thank you, Lord that you have given us tools to fight against the enemy. When he attacks our minds, when he tries to confuse us and confound us, God, you've given us your word. And I pray that you would let every woman in this room tonight and those that hear the podcast fall in love with your word, Lord. Let us feed on it. Let us be strengthened and fortified by it, God. And I pray that you would help us in this season not to be anxious, but to be thankful. Help us, God, to find your peace. Let it fill our lives and fill our hearts each day, God. And I pray that you would help our eyes, help our hearts and our minds to be fixated on you, to be fixated on what you have done for us, God, and the goodness and the blessings that you've given to us, Lord. Let us, oh God, in this season, keep the main thing, the main thing, and help us not to be distracted. Help us not to turn away from what really matters. But Lord, let us, God, let us keep our eyes on you and on the prize of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.